everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, interviews, concert photos, and oh, oh so much more. And oh so much more is my co-host, the illustrious Daniel Terry. How are you doing? Uh, good, man. I haven't been described as illustrious ever, but uh, doing pretty well. It's a wonderful early afternoon. <laughs> Spring has sprung. Birds are tweeting. So are a lot of assholes on the internet. Well, all the time, 24-7. <laughs> and uh, this episode's guest is uh, Josh Todd, vocalist of Buckcherry. And man, this was a fun one. Um, it looked like it wasn't going to happen, and then like literally day of, uh, probably about an hour and a half before the interview, I get an email from the publicist like, hey, are you able to do it at this time, like today, like right now? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I can. That's hilarious. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of intimidating. I think there is something that's a little bit intimidating when you're talking to some of these people who have been in the band that they're known for for 20-plus years. It's interesting, though, because, like, doing some of these in person, like, you know, there's one thing when you're doing a phoner and, like, you can't see anybody and all you have to go off of is, is the voice or whatever. But it's another thing sometimes when you're doing these in persons, and it's like Josh Todd is, like, a really great front man. Like, I do have seen the band a couple of times over the last handful of years, and they always put on a great show. And, you know, Josh Todd is at the focal point of that and engaging the crowd. But it's kind of something different when, like, you know, you kind of look at him, and, and, he, and he also just seems like he has a short temper and, like, that, you know, he could be pissed at you for, like, at the drop of a hat. And as such, it's like it kind of maybe motivated me to, to, to come up with some good questions where I was like, okay, let's not piss Josh Todd off before the show today you gotta try really hard although he doesn't didn't really seem like he was just gonna you know spring into action and attack your face by messing up one little thing no um although i will say this um so when i do these interviews in person uh you know some people use mobile recorders and stuff like that and if you go back and listen to some of the interviews i've done in person i used one and unfortunately, those things are so hot that they pick up everything. So what I ended up figuring out how to do, at least you know, for my lack of knowledge on audio technical equipment and shit like that, is to bring my home setup uh, and basically bring it with me because I know how it all works. I can control it, and I can see everything in real time and make adjustments on the fly. That being said, when I was pulling out everything, Josh kind of gave me this nonverbal look of like, are you fucking kidding me with this? And... Uh, I, I then had to explain like oh I, what I just said, and then everything kind of seemed to be okay. But he seemed it almost made me feel like it was like oh this is amateur hour getting ready to start. I can't imagine how great these questions are going to be. Right, that's hilarious. <laughs> it's all good, man. It turned out to be a good interview though. I'm not the biggest fan of Buck Cherry, as I think anybody could guess. No, we're not going to see them on discography discussion. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you won't see them on discography discussion. Um, but that's typically uh, you know, when we basically get enough requests to cover a band, we basically end up being forced to cover them. Looking at you, Mushroom Head. <laughs> it's, uh, they're a band, you know, and I think that's something that's been really fun lately, and, you know, I've been kind of harping on it quite a bit with the podcast lately, is the fact that we've been getting a lot of diversity on the podcast, and that's something that I really, I think that's something that when we did this rebrand, that was something both you and I really wanted to, to hit on, is trying to incorporate not just metal or metal core or hard rock, but, like, really kind of start incorporating a lot of different things, and... I think that's what makes it fun. I mean, the podcast isn't called, you know, the Brutal Metal Podcast or whatever. It's it's brutally speaking. And that applies to anyone in any genre. And I think 
You know, we look at an episode like RJ City or, you know, some of these other ones that we've done lately that maybe aren't quote unquote on brand. But I think that they are because they're people kind of talking about real honest shit. And I don't know. This one, I think, is is it was good. There was a lot of cool information that Josh kind of was talking about, especially at the end, you know, of talking about wanting to get into more working with hip hop people and incorporating that into Buckcherry Sound. And I don't really know that that's anything that Buckcherry fans would probably I don't know if that's something Buckcherry fans want or would even expect at this point, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what the average buck cherry fan expects. I think it's one of those things where, you know, with his, with, with, with his breakthrough song, I think it's something everybody heard in a club, <laughs> at least around here, the kind of music they play at clubs in Missouri. Um, yeah, it is interesting. I, I would love to actually, it would almost be more fun to sit down with a buck cherry diehard for me to really sit down and understand and get it and understand what it is. Um, I'm not personally a huge fan of like, um, a bare a bare bones rock band, kind of the only ones that are doing it like as successfully as they are. What what is our age difference? Am I like three years older than you? Three years, I think. Yeah. Okay. So thirty three. So okay, I'm gonna be thirty five in like a couple of months. So not yeah, two years. But you know what's interesting is like, I guess this is the difference in 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 how we grew up and how we were raised. I grew up on basically you know all those 80s hair metal bands and so forth and glam metal bands, you know, between your, like, Cinderella's and Poisons and Rats and Motley Crue's and Guns N' Roses and so forth. So, like, a band like Buckcherry, when they came out, kind of had that that edge and that sleaze that I hadn't seen, no pun intended, hadn't seen in, like, 15 years by the time they came out. Like, and that was the thing, is, like, even though I grew up in the 80s and was plopped in front of MTV and listened to, you know, the hard rock classic metal stations at the time where it being just metal stations, it went away. And so by the time Buckcherry came around and came out with Lit Up, and one of my favorite songs actually off of that record, that first record, which is uh, for the movies, you know, there weren't bands doing that. It was almost like how new metal had been for the last little while, kind of tying it back to some of our other episodes. It became a dirty word, so to see a band kind of doing it, it made them stick out even more, and then it's like you, you know, in the day and age of, like, everyone kind of being clean cut and all this, it's like you got a vocalist who's got just hella tattoos and, like, singing about fucking groupies and, like, doing cocaine and, like, all this kind of shit, and it's like, it reminded me, not necessarily musically, but aesthetically, reminded me of the shock of seeing Green Day doing Basket Case on MTV when I was younger. Like, just that, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I could definitely understand that. Uh, for me, it's just a it's just a preference of sound thing. It's not even that I think that the band sucks or that they, you know, don't have the chops to play or that they're that they're gimmicky or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I would say quite the opposite. Uh, there there really isn't a gimmick other than hey, it's rock and roll. You guys like it? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, like that. That's it. You either do or you don't. Um, but you know, it's it's not to say that you know. Then I'm I'm surprised that in 2019 that we're still talking to Buck Cherry, and that there's actually that they're actually like a band that people take much more seriously now, considering their first single <laughs> and all that. Well, speaking to uh, all of that, let's get into my conversation with Josh Todd of Buck Cherry, and we will talk to you afterwards. <laughs>
pleasure this uh, early evening here on a nice uh, blue sky day here in Grand Rapids, Michigan with Josh Todd of Buck Cherry. They're getting ready to play. And their new album, Warpaint, just came out about two weeks ago now via Century Media Records. How are you doing? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be here. We've been in Michigan two days now, and the weather's been amazing. And uh, hopefully the, uh, the winter is behind us, I hope. <laughs> I think someone posted today or yesterday that today is the official first day of spring. Oh, great. I don't know it if that's feels true. Like it. <laughs> it feels like it, and I hope that's the truth. Um, Warpaint has now, like I said, been off for about two weeks, and I kind of wanted to know like, how the general reaction has been from fans from your perspective at this point. First of all, Warpaint's such a great record. Um, you know, we went through a huge transition before this record, and it always makes for good songwriting. You know, we worked really hard on it, and uh, it's very reminiscent of the songwriting and the time that took place right before the 15 record, you know? songs and that's exactly what we did this time around and um the fans have been reacting really great to it um it's just a great list drop but it, it is one of the best buck cherry records you know what's funny about this new record and listening to it is it reminds me of why i like rock and roll music because it feels like people who actually sat in a room and fucking wrote a record and it actually feels like it was recorded live in the room like it has this just intangible that you can't really get when when people do it on their laptops pro tools people are sending files to each other and shit it just yeah feels organic i guess is the best word yeah i'm glad you feel that way i mean you know we do a lot of uh demoing and back and forth uh when we're building songs and, and we're you know demoing process you know but what we like to do is we like to do all that work outside of the studio and then we get a body of work together and then we go in and we rehearse it as a band so that once we get to the recording process, the actual record recording process, that it does feel like a live experience. You know, it's funny that you also bring up the, that in fact it kind of feels like 15 because, and the fact of making sure all your shit's in line because you guys self-released 15 initially. Yeah, 15 was just a weird animal to get across the finish line. Uh, it, it's such a weird story, and it's like so unbelievable that we had success with the formula because everything on paper looked like it was not going to have success. But um, the long and the short of it is we made the record in 15 days. That's why we called it 15. We had a very small budget from a Japanese record deal. Nobody would sign that record in the United States. Um, you know, everybody everybody in the industry thought we were has-beens and and you couldn't sell rock records and all that kind of stuff. We, we had all that. So basically our manager said, well, I'll just start a independent label and we'll, and we'll, and that's when 11.7 was started. Um, and Buck Cherry was the first record. And then we just had a, a distribution deal through Atlantic. And then of course, crazy bitch hits. And then they pick us up, you know, they had an option. So I remember that song being like one of the most downloaded ringtones when that was still a thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's had long long legs that song, and um, I'm very grateful. You know, that's what you that's what you dream about. You know, you, I mean, I've always wanted to be in one band for my whole career, make a catalog of music, and that's what I've done. And and you want to write songs that people can remember. You know, you know, it's funny that you bring up the 20 years. You know, the longevity of the band. Something that you had made a post on Facebook the day the album came out, basically saying that when you wanted to start a band, you always had hope that you would have a career that's you know this long with that being said it seems like the career hasn't had its not downfalls is what i want to say but just basically that it seems like in spite of all the success that you've had over this career the ups and downs that it seems like you're still kind of an underdog do you relish that role i'm glad you brought that up because 
it's weird. You know, it's it's so bizarre that we've been a you know pretty much a traditional rock band from the beginning. And our first record was in 1999. But if you look at it, rock, the type of rock that we're doing has never been mainstream. The whole time we've been releasing records, like when we put out our first record, it was it was rap rock and what I call all these shoegazing bands. You know, like nerd rock, the guys with the Buddy Holly glasses and <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know the Weezers of the world and which are they're all great bands I'm just saying that was what it was kind of labeled at the time and um, we came out and we were like this you know I don't know what you wanted to call us but there was no one else like throwback. us at the time yeah throwback I guess and and um, it was refreshing for people and it happened at that time and, and then man we just had so many peaks and valleys you know and, and it's all about it comes down to passion at the end of the day and you know, we've based our reputation on our live show, and and uh, that's what people love about this band. They love coming to the coming to the Buckcherry show and partying and having a good time. Are you surprised, twenty years in though, as well, that people still doubt you? Um, no, because you know, we <laughs> we live we live in a very judgmental society. Um, you know, uh, everybody's got an opinion. And that's going to be the way it's always going to be, you know. Um, that just kind of fuels us. Um, it always has. I never I never even really think about that kind of stuff. I only, I make records for myself, you know. Um, I got into this at the end of the day to, uh, because it was liberating. Right. And um, because it was the only thing that I could find in my life that consistently made me happy, you know what I mean? So um, that's why I do it. So um, the challenge is, um, attaching to yourself to the to the art personally so that you can go up there and own it and feel good about it and then also writing songs in a way that a large amount of people can get into as well you know you know a couple of seconds ago you had kind of touched on the fact that fans come out because of the energy you guys put out something that I think is always interesting when kind of doing my due diligence and seeing the band you know people talk about the band whether it be press whether it be fans and so forth is, you know, a lot of people seem to get wrapped up in the presentation of the lyrics, of the visuals and so forth, kind of the, the drug party band kind of atmosphere of it. And the thing that I think is always interesting is the fact that it seems like everyone overlooks the fact that you've been sober for 24 years, almost 25, I think, at this point. Yeah, but, you know, I, I was sober for a reason. You know, I started getting loaded at a very young age, 13, and I, I stopped when I was 23. And, yeah, I've been sober my whole professional career, but I was in a band... Um, called Slamhound for uh, almost six years before Buck Cherry, you know, um, and we were complete messes, and and uh, a lot of people love that band, and, and thank God it didn't happen, because I'd, I'd probably be dead by now, but, um, you know, I'm sober for a reason, and uh, I'm glad, because I got sober when my first daughter was born, I just didn't, I didn't want her to see me loaded, you know, that, right. w that was really important for me. Is it kind of disheartening to think that, like, I? it's kind of weird, because like, when I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, we see that obviously art imitates life, mm -hmm. and that you can obviously draw source inspiration from the things that you had done, but sometimes it's kind of weird in, in seeing people be like, well, this band's not succeeding, or doesn't le reach whatever plateau that we think that they should be, because they're a party band, because of this association, <laughs> and it's... It's kind of one of those things, like, uh, a friend of mine's band, local, not local anymore, they're a nationally, internationally touring band, but they were always tagged with this party 
vibe. Right. And a lot of people just wrote them off like they're nothing more than this thing. Right. And I kind of had wondered if you guys experienced that same sort of backlash over your career at all. Um, I think that people, some people think that because, you, you know, we have, I just write about my life, honestly, you know, and so some songs, when, when a song turns into a single, all of a sudden your whole record is this song. Right. And, it, and it's not and it's not anything about what Buck Cherry's done from record to record to record. We have some party songs. We got some songs about war. We got songs about love. We got songs about heartache, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, so they label it that because our first single was about the first time I did cocaine. Wrote that song in five minutes. Uh, and Crazy Bitch was, you know... <laughs> It kind of was sparked by, uh, I was driving around L.A., and, and that was right when the Paris Hilton sex tapes came out, and I was just like, I in my head, I'm like, I can't believe somebody can launch their professional entertainment career off like a homemade porn. It like totally Sorry. blew my mind, and then I was like starting to reminisce about just all this, all the craziness I went through as a teenager, and I started singing this chorus. And I just remember I like called my mom's. Uh, I didn't have an iPhone, so I, I called my mom's um, aunt voicemail and left it and sang it. I go, Mom, I gotta re- remember this. So my mom's cool, you know. So. <laughs> I would love to hear that original <laughs> recording somewhere on the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys started this. I'm kind of a stickler for promotional, uh, the length of promotional runs, uh, giving given the record because, you know, I remember growing up, it didn't seem like you got a whole lot. Like maybe you would get a single. And that single would kind of last you until the first album. And the album would come out like, I mean, thinking about Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, you didn't have much. You had yeah, like yeah. one fucking song. And then it was like, okay, I'm buying both records on the strength of yep. that one song. Or the, yep. the peaked interest in that one song. So I kind of get wrapped up in just the fact that now we have see rollout promotional plans going five, six months sometimes where you're like getting half of a record out before it's even out. And you're like, uh, kind of leave a little bit for me to find. Yep. But you guys started it off in November with Head Like a Hole, which I thought was pretty interesting given the fact that, I mean, Nine Inch Nails is still at the height of their popularity, I would say. And it's not a song I would think a lot of people would expect you to do, especially as a lead-off single for a record. So I kind of wanted to know what made you choose that song to cover in the first place and to put out, and what do you feel this, the lyrical significance is now in 2019? Well, whenever you do a record, uh, everybody comes up with the the cover conversation it comes up every time you do a record and it's like instead of even having that conversation i wanted to be proactive and find a song off the beaten path i just don't think it's that interesting when a rock band covers a rock song it just you know i think it's more challenging to take a song out of your genre and kind of make it your own and and we did that with uh say fuck it on the uh, fuck ep and um so cut to now you know we were just set up to record and we were just jamming and i came in with the idea i've always liked pretty hate machine I love Trent. Um, I love what he stands for. You know, I feel like he's a guy who's kind of stuck to his guns his whole career and and really uh, made his mark. You know, when you hear a Nine Inch Nails song, you know exactly who it is. And Definitely. and I really believe that's that's the way it is with Buck Cherry as well. You know, so um, in order for me to to really own a cover song, I gotta I gotta believe in it and I gotta believe in the lyrical content and it's gotta be in my wheelhouse vocally and all those things were happening. And I said, let's just try this. Let's jam it out. And see if we can make it a rock song, you know? And we ripped it out, and we didn't know that Mike Polotnikoff, our producer, was recording us at the time. And uh, he threw up a rough mix and told us to come in there and listen to it. And we just sat back, and he just, like, blasted it through the speakers. I was like, wow, this sounds like a Buck Cherry song, you know? Like, 
it's got to be on the record, you know, and that's really how it happened. What does it mean to you lyrically now in today's society? Do you think it's just still as culturally relevant as it was back in eighty was eighty nine? Yeah, I don't know what his intent was behind the song, but um, I love the meeting. I love it when I sing it. You know, um, it it kind of means something like uh, you're making money, you're God. That's that's the way I kind of interpret it. You know, and um, that's that's prevalent through life since the beginning, since you know. We started doing this, you know, so um, uh, that's why I like it. And I just like, I like the recklessness of it. I think it's, uh, you know, the Pretty Hate Machine record reminded me of all the punk rock records I grew up with. You know, they were, it, it had this independent feel to it. It sounded like a guy who made a record uh, in his bedroom. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe he did. I don't know where he made it, but it was, it's pretty raw and honest and real. And, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. I love and I don't know if it was necessarily thought out this way, but I loved how even the video you guys put out kind of had the almost like a tip of the hat to even the performance aspect of that video. Yeah, we, we didn't want to stray too far from it. We thought it would be just cool to, you know. Has uh, has Trent or any of Trent's people gotten back to the band or your management? Have not heard from Trent, you know, but I hope he likes it. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, hold on, I think I kind of already asked that one. Um, kind of going back to the, the 20 year and, and you're saying you wanted to carve out a 20 year career, you know, when we as youthful people think about a career, maybe we want or something, a passion we're, we're trying to achieve, there's what it looks like. And then there's how it actually manifests itself. So looking back on that statement, I couldn't help but thinking, have you looked back on those thoughts and been like, I either it's everything I thought it was going to be or wow, I only was expecting to be a club level band, not at an arena level, not at having, you know, big singles, so on and so forth. What did the dream initially look like and, and how has it changed and shifted over the years? No, I wanted to, you know, there's a few things that I wanted. I wanted to be unforgettable live. That was one thing. Um, and I wanted to have songs that you could remember. I wanted to be as big as it could get. That's really what I wanted. What did it look like? I had no idea. I can't see myself like this crazy, you know, star that can walk anywhere and people just, you know, swarm him. That's never been the case for me throughout my career. It's kind of been this uh, slow burn and we're like skating underneath that whole thing. You know, the craziness and sometimes it's crazy and then sometimes it's just super down to earth. Like I live in Los Angeles and I was born and raised in Southern California, so... No one cares that you're in Buckcherry in L.A., you know what I mean? So uh, it only it only happens like when I'm out here and it's still not at a crazy level. So I don't ever think about that kind of stuff. I just think about the work and the work is what I'm passionate about, you know. So I'm always moving towards, okay, what is when is the next song? What is the next song going to be? What, what am I doing? What am I moving towards? And I never think about all the stuff I've already accomplished until we just put out War Paint and the 20 years came up and I kind of sat back and went, wow, it's been a, been a long time. Where do you envision you'll be and or the band in the next 20 years? Are you that goal oriented? I just, to, to no, another... I just don't know. You know, I, I just, I really have to take it one day at a time, you know, and um, I had a goal of like, I wanted to do 10 records, <laughs> you know, 10 records would be pretty amazing, you know, and um, well, I think between your solo stuff and all that, you're, you're almost there. I'm, I'm there. Actually, I think you passed I'm it. at 10 records, but I mean, 10 Buck Cherry records, you know, I feel like you're, I feel like your output in the last, since you came back has been really Prominent or prominent, sorry, and I feel like it's almost like you're making up for the time that you guys weren't around, uh, just constantly putting out the records. 
Um, no, I just like to work. And, you know, Buck Cherry over toured and we worked so much that everybody, you know, all of the, all the people around us were like, you guys got to not tour for a little bit. And it's like, okay, but I got a family and I got to make a living and this is all I know. And so, you know, um, but I also love to create. I love to build things from nothing. You know, that's really exciting for me. That's why the conflict record happened. And it's such a great record, too. You know? Do you f- are you already working on another conflict record at all? Not right now. Right now I'm just... Um, focused on Buck Cherry? I'm focused on Buck Cherry. I am writing, um, like, I'm, I'm making my own beats and writing, like, uh, songs. Uh, in fact, I'm going to record some demos after the show tomorrow night in my dressing room, you know. Um, but uh, always accumulating ideas and hooks and melodies. Uh, one of my last questions for you, and it was something that kind of came to me as I was prepping for the interview itself. You know, like we had kind of already touched on, you guys self-funded the, the 15 record at first. And it was kind of at a time where the crowdfunding thing wasn't really as prevalent as it is now. And the industry hadn't quite shifted the way that it has with streaming being as present as it is and a lot of the things going on. So I kind of wanted to know, looking back, do you feel, and this is where it kind of got tough, I couldn't figure out exactly how to get this worded, so if uh, hopefully this makes sense. Do you feel that because of that experience, it has better prepared you for this shift in the industry where labels aren't necessarily important, that like you were saying it's just about getting the thing out there writing the good song and eventually if it's that good people will find it well i like that part of it i like the independent mentality you know and that part is really cool you know and i think uh hip-hop is really where uh there's some crazy stuff happening like really great stuff you know like look at chance the rapper he uh he got like what three grammys no record deal and he sold out the hollywood bowl (laughs) i i went to that show and i was like this is unreal i cannot believe this is happening and so it's very exciting like like i have to tell you like rock is like really in a weird place you know what i mean because there's not a lot of risk taking there's not a lot of diversity uh between from band to band to band like if you look at the 90s just look at the 90s you had these amazing frontmen you had you know chris cornell and 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 eddie vetter and and the list goes on you know lane staley and uh and who else kurt cobain and and then and then you had zach de la roca you know and jonathan davis all these guys you know it was like wow it was incredible and then the 2000s it's like I mean, you can you can name some because you're in this business, but like the average person walking down the street, they don't know anybody, and they're not at award shows, they're not at, they're not at anything, and it's like you go to hip hop, and it's like super exciting. It's like they're being nasty and X-rated. They're saying whatever they want to say. They're making up their own language and their own stuff, and they're they're putting out videos that are crazy. Like, have you seen like the last Cardi B video? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that video, and I was like, this is dope. This yeah. is like. This is like scary. They are the, new, they are the new rock stars, basically. Yeah, they are, you know. And so um, I need to be inspired, you know. So I, I go where there's inspiration. Have you tried reaching out to any of these people to do some kind of a collaboration? Because it seems like, you know, for as much as we've kind of been hitting on the DIY vibe of what you like to do, and given the fact that it seems like very, like, I think it was kind of present on the conflict record at times that you're into hip hop. And yeah. like you were saying, you, you make beats and do all this other stuff. Have you tried to reach out to someone in that world to, to kind of be the new, I'm not, this is a tired example, but the ACDC, I'm sorry, not ACDC, Aerosmith and Run DMC kind of thing, like try to do something. I mean, I would, I would love that, but I just feel like Buck Cherry is just 
a little under the radar for those cats because they're like they're big you know so um i would love that i'm trying to work myself into that world and i'm doing stuff with more independent hip-hop artists like i just did a feature on a track uh, with an artist named daytona mac and we did that that's on my instagram you know you can check it out it's called let it snow and uh that was a lot of fun and um and like I said, I'm doing, I'm just keeping my chops up and working on what I can do over the beats so that when that opportunity comes, I'd love to do, I'd love to work with Kendrick Lamar, with Post Malone, Post Malone, any of those guys, you know, and, and I did, uh, I did um, co-write with uh, Muggs from Cypress Hill way back in the day after the Time Bomb record. I got on his record, Dust. I have two songs on that record and that was a lot of fun, but then it just, I just got busy, you know, and, and it was hard to get into that group again. Well, that was all the time I have with you today. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, where can people find you and or the band online? Yeah, you can find me at uh, Josh Todd Official on Instagram and, and at Buckcherry on Instagram. And come out to the rock show and go get our new record, Warpaint. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. That was a good interview. Man. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Josh Todd of Buck Cherry in the back lounge on their tour bus. My wife and a couple of her friends were like, oh, you were on the bus. And I was like, yeah, it was really crammed full of backpacks and a bunch of other shit. It was really glamorous, just like you think it is. I was like, there were strippers everywhere. I kept tripping over cocaine. Yeah. Okay, you know, it's funny. So that's that's a thing we touched on in this interview as well, which is the fact that, you know, like I had read something and Josh Todd basically is, I think now 25 years sober. And basically the entire length of the band's career. And it's so funny because, like, I just saw something the other day someone posted because, you know, like, the new meme lately has been, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, has been that Vince Neil uh, thing going around where he can't sing any of the songs, which isn't a surprise if you've seen that band. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Um. So then someone just recently uploaded a thing of, like, Josh Todd performing Crazy Bitch but doing kind of like a freestyle, quote-unquote, whatever, in the middle of it. And people are just, like, shitting on it and be like, oh, this is what happens when the, the drugs take over or something like that. And I just wrote, you know, you might be pleasantly surprised to find out that he's been sober for, like, forever. And uh, this was on someone who also had kind of gone through their own, you know, addiction problems and so forth. So I kind of figured, you know, maybe they at least would uh, be more apt to be positive about it. And all that really came of it was, like, everyone's like, that's what you think. I mean, how can someone write a song like Crazy Bitch or, you know, I love the cocaine and, and you know, not? And I go... You know, you can do something and just pull from references of your life at some point. Although I did love that story about how he called his mom's uh, answering machine to leave the course to Crazy Bitch. <laughs> That's hilarious. Check this out, Mom. It's an, it's an age-old strategy. Hey, you know, if you can win your mom over, you know it'll be a hit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I. but I. the thing that I did respect the most about the interview was just the, the, the drive uh, that he still has and the confidence in what he does. Um, that it's... That, Buck Cherry is not a trendy band by any stretch of the imagination, but has done very well in just sticking to their laurels and, and delivering what their fans expect them to deliver every time. I mean, very much in that sense, they're like, you know, that is quintessential classic rock, which yeah. we hit on it quite a bit in the intro of just, you know, the fact that that is what they are. But it's funny that something so pure in, in its intent and its presentation still is kind of looked at in such a weird way like it's like this weird anomaly even though it really isn't it's basically what every band's it's almost like they do exactly what every band wants to do but instead of adding all the theatrics and gimmicks to it they're just like yep and that's good enough right there yeah yeah absolutely you can't fault them for it 
I mean, you can. I have found as a music reviewer, you can fault anybody for anything if you're an asshole. <laughs> but, uh, but no, absolutely. I mean, I got nothing but respect for for having that drive and and sticking to a vision. Because I feel like a lot of a lot of times now, people are willing to compromise whatever vision they had in order to get a little bit more popularity. Which is what I would do. I mean, I'm talking about Buck Cherry on a podcast right now. I mean, um, you know, uh, I, I I like money and I understand the allure. So I know that it's not an easy decision sometimes not to go with whatever the mainstream expects. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, actually, as the day we're recording this, uh, Louder Than Life Festival got announced uh, for their lineup with their main headliner being Guns N' Roses. And then they announced the full lineup today, earlier this morning. And... I made a comment, I think, on Twitter that I was like, this is basically like 35-year-old me, which is exactly what age I will be by the time. That'll be a couple of days after my birthday, actually. That is like 35-year-old me's perfect types of bands. You got Stained as one of like the, the bigger bands on there. So it's like you have all the shit from when I was like coming into my own as a music, like into music. And then like newer stuff, like you know, like a lot of people we've already had on the show, like Bad Flower and you know, Knock Loose and a handful of other bands and so forth. And it just is one of those things I'm looking at, going like, this is the perfect storm of like what I was and what I am currently. Just in one, it's like you might as well call it the Brutally Speaking Festival. Right. Yeah, it's got a whole bunch of stuff in there too. You're like, you could almost, if you sat down, and you're looking at the picks, you'd have been like, John picked that one, Dan picked that one, <laughs> John picked that one, Dan picked that one. You know. Yeah. No, it'll be. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm. I'm hoping we get approved for that festival again this year, um, and get to cover it. It would. I mean, even if we don't get to talk to anybody, because we already have had everybody on, other than the bigger names, that would just be a fucking fun as shit festival to go to and just have a good time, just having beers and and watching bands. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Hopefully that'll be us. But uh, speaking of announcements, if you would like to keep up with Buck Cherry, you can find them on Facebook at Buck Cherry, Instagram at Buck Cherry, and guess what? On Twitter, it's Buck Cherry as well. If you would like to keep up with Josh Todd, you can find him on Instagram at Josh Todd Official, and on Twitter, he is under JT Buck Cherry. That's not Justin Timberlake, although that would be interesting. Best collaboration ever. I mean, Justin Timberlake has done some pretty interesting collaborations, so I think the rock world is the only thing he's not come into at this point. <laughs> I was going to say, other than young women's pants. <laughs> and if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. If you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can find them at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram are simply The Bean Bastard. And if you would like to keep up with Dan, he will tell you how to do so right now. To keep up with me, you're going to have to be going about 67 on the highway as my car is not going to go any faster than 70 miles per hour. So that's a good way to keep up is about 67 miles per hour. If you want to keep up with me online, though, it's much easier. All you, I don't know, it might be easier. Uh, but all you have to do is go on Facebook and type in Daniel Terry, and I will pop up. My beautiful face will be there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan, and you can also find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. I think you need a connection speed of 67 kps to keep up with Dan on the Internet. Oh, that's pretty rough. I will still, I will still railgun your ass in Quake Two. <laughs> I'm sorry, just it was like one of the few jokes I saw, and I was like, I'm gonna just, just go for it, man. Life's too short. And uh, if you would like to keep up with all things the podcast, you can find us at Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and Twitter as well. Go to our YouTube channel. We are starting to add videos. Uh, if you are listening to this. 
we either have or will be posting the From Ashes to New interview. Uh, we also will have the upcoming uh, Landon Tours from The Plot New. Uh, I will be doing, uh, the next day as of when we're recording this, I will have interviewed Knock Loose and Vincent uh, and Tim from The Acacia Strain. Uh, we have a lot of interviews coming up. A lot, a lot of interviews coming up. So start heading over to our YouTube channel. We're going to start having fun with it and start posting some interesting content. And, uh, you know, head over to our Facebook page. We are trying to build our social media presence. And uh, we want to start hearing back from you. We want to start engaging with you. Let us know some beers that you want. And uh, as a reward for following us, uh, we are doing a contest, as we've been preaching the last couple episodes. Uh, the Bean Bastard was very gracious in giving us a body scrub, a candle, and a bag of coffee to give away. And uh, Rob Fenn, the photographer who we had on the podcast a while ago that has toured with uh, Rise Against, Hailstorm, and Rob Zombie, to name a few, has put out a book with each one of them. And he presented us with a book of the Rob Zombie tour he did. This thing is thick as shit. So the contest we are running, uh, as of when we're recording this, we need a couple more likes to get to the body scrub. So if you go ahead and like the page, throw some extra people over there. Uh, we will pick someone at random for the body scrub. At 575 likes, we're going to go ahead and give away that candle. At 600, we're going to go ahead and wait and give this book. And uh, we want to reward you for listening to us. Name me another podcast who is willing to do that. Go ahead. I'll wait. Oh, I can think of one. So yeah, we just want to thank everyone for all the support and for following us on everything and for any of the suggestions on guests, for sharing everything. It means a lot. This show doesn't do anything without all of you. So thanks again. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.